Traveling the Vortex. Side Trip. Welcome back to another Traveling the Vortex side trip. I'm Sean, and if you've been following along, you know that, uh, well, Star Trek 203 means we will be discussing Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3. If you've not been following along, you're probably a little confused as to why a Doctor Who podcast is releasing a Star Trek episode. Uh, just a brief reintroduction. Um, it was requested that uh, I lend some of my knowledge into uh, the area of Star Trek to our listeners who maybe didn't have such knowledge, and I was happy to do so. It's been kind of a long road coming, and I figured with all of us locked up due to the coronavirus uh, outbreak and pandemic, that uh, now seemed as good a time as any to try and maybe finish off some of these holes in everybody's knowledge. So, Season 3 of Next Gen is really where everything clicks. This is where the show becomes Star Trek The Next Generation. This is where it all, uh, you know, it, it moves at, at top warp. And when people talk Star Trek, whenever anybody mentions Star Trek The Next Generation, it's from this point forward that they're really discussing the show. Uh, a couple of moves happen off-season that put new writers and showrunners in place. These are the people that would continue to guide the show for the most part, throughout the rest of the run. Uh, Dr. Pulaski is out. Dr. Crusher is back. Gates McFadden returns. And so our cast is back and reunited. And the storytelling marks a almost decidedly different approach from what we've gotten in the first two seasons. Not that what we got previously was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but there seemed to be a little bit more of a focus on putting the characters through some sort of arc by the end of each episode. Now, you have to remember that this is the 90s. And back then, television was not nearly as serialized as it is today. Things were far more episodic. And consequently, with a show like Star Trek, while you could do some things to the characters that would result in a, uh, you know, a larger lesson to be learned, for the most part, by the end of the episode, your 42-minute runtime, you had to return to the status quo, regardless of whatever problem came up. And that's very formula. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation had a very specific formula for their writing. And generally it was, there is a problem on planet X, it must be solved within time frame Y, or else result Z will happen. And then there was a B plot that would involve two or three characters and what they were going through. And sometimes those two plots would intersect and one would result in a, resol a resolution for the other. And sometimes they would not. But that was kind of the template for most of Next Gen. And they would follow that template very, very closely from this point out. It becomes comfort food. It becomes very reassuring. Because this positive, hopeful vision of the future 
falls into a rhythm and it becomes something that you can expect, regardless of what they do, in the back of your head, you know that we're going to get back to the status quo and that everything's going to turn out okay. And that is sometimes the best kind of entertainment because it's, it's expected and yet you can still go on this journey and have a lot of fun and have a lot of, um, you know, that same sense of adventure and, and uh, experience that your, your, your crew members get. So this is where it all really boils down and comes together. And the difficulty is, if I were to follow my previous template of giving you five episodes from each season that are kind of your must-watch, well, now I'm starting to get into danger zones, because how could I just pick five? I could very easily do a top ten list for this season and still not cover ones that are great episodes. I could do a top 15 and not cover ones that are, you know, ones that I feel are of extreme merit to somebody doing a watch through. But uh, I have endeavored and struggled and, yes, come up with a list of five. And um, fandom may or may not agree with me, as always. Um, I invite uh, feedback. If, if some of your favorites happen to be some of mine, then so be it. Uh, and if not, then, you know, it's okay to have different, uh, different opinions on things. And, and this is, again, season three... You got to remember, this is the season where Riker was accused of murder. Uh, we we had a, a living spaceship that was trying to commit suicide. We introduced uh, Lieutenant Barclay and his holodeck um, obsession. We killed all the Hushnik everywhere. We uh, delved a little more deeply into the Romulan threat. The Ferengi returned to much comedic effect. On and on and on. And yet, none of those moments are ones that are in my top five. So without further ado, uh, number five on my list, working, of course, counting down. Number five is Sarek. Now, I don't think it was any great surprise to too many people that NextGen was eventually going to tap into its original series roots. They had done this a little bit in the first couple of seasons by realistically doing sequels to existing Star Trek episodes or bringing back a villain or virus from an original Star Trek episode. This was kind of the first time that we really delved hardcore into that lore and brought a character back, Sarek, Spock's father. And they did something quite daring. And uh, Spoilers ahead. And the first time I saw this episode, I was kind of taken aback by it and angry and frustrated and lost and how dare you. And it wasn't until subsequent rewatches that I realized the A, beauty of the audacity, and B, how extremely well-written and well-handled this whole thing is. Sarek is suffering from Bendai Syndrome, which is a disease that affects Vulcans as they get older, certain among them, and uh, causes the uh, control and the 
walls of their logic to crumble and allows the emotions to take over, which is a fate worse than death, really, for a Vulcan. But it taps into the idea of kind of um, almost Alzheimer's or dementia uh, for humans, and which is a terrifying thought. That's kind of number one on my list of I, I don't want that to happen. I mean, I, I don't wish that upon anybody, obviously, but for me especially, and people always ask, well, how do you want to go out? It's like, you know, I, I, there are many, many horrible deaths, but I would gladly take drowning or dying in a fire before I would take sitting in a room losing my mind. I have spent far too long trying to fill it. And admittedly, most of what I filled it with may be somewhat useless pop culture trivia, but I filled it. I'm continually trying to put new things in. And the idea that I could just be stripped of that it, it is beyond terrifying to me. So to watch Sarek, this beloved character that we all know, that we all love, go through that is agony upon agony. And um, he's supposed to be conducting an important negotiation as an ambassador, and Picard offers him the opportunity to mind meld with him, to use his strengths and basically give him the emotions and the madness so that Sarah conduct the negotiations. And it's a beautiful moment. It is extremely powerful to watch these two commanding performances um, on screen together. And so Sarah is uh, it's, it's a... a just a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. And admittedly, there's, it, you know, it could be argued, I guess, that there's a lot of, you know, fan service here where we're dealing with, oh, look, we brought Sarek back, ha, ha, ha. But no, it goes, it goes far beyond that for me. Number four, Sins of the Father. A very cool Tony Todd shows up as Kern, Worf's brother. And spins a yarn that Worf, son of Moog, well, Moog has been charged with treason. He's been uh, basically outed as a, uh, a traitor to the Empire. And the two brothers are now on the outs, and they have to fight to uh, save their, uh, their family lineage. And what makes this episode great is Ron Moore. Now, Ron Moore is a phenomenal writer. The name should sound familiar if you are a science fiction fan. He is responsible for the revamped, reimagined, rebooted Battlestar Galactica. Before that, he worked on Star Trek. And he is pretty much the resident uh, Klingon-in-chief. He wrote all the really great Klingon episodes of the series. Ron came to the attention of the next-gen writers through an open script writing process. Uh, Next Gen was one of the few shows um, during and, and even since, and not many people ever do this, to allow people to submit spec scripts. And um, he did, and they liked what he wrote, and they, they wound up hiring him as a, as a writer, and he rose very prominently in the ranks. Uh, and eventually, um, not only was a staff writer and wrote all these great episodes, but later went on to work on uh, uh, Deep Space Nine and went on to write, uh, work on Voyager and uh, had a very long career with uh, 
with, with Trek. And we're very thankful for that because Ron Moore rocks. But uh, the other thing that I think really makes this episode great is the ending, which is a bit of a surprise because as with that edict of you kind of have to return things to the status quo, well, in this one they don't. The episode ends and things happen in such a way that, well, in order for the status quo of the Empire to be maintained, Worf is branded a traitor. He is excommunicated from the Klingon Empire. And he takes that upon himself in order to save Kern and allow his brother to continue to serve and and be of some service and uh, and not be stripped of his honor. Worf, you know, obviously he's the first Klingon in Starfleet. He's this, he's that, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's kind of already the, the black sheep of the family. So he, he's kind of okay with that. Even though nothing about it is right. Nothing about this decision-making, nothing about this process, nothing about this will hold any water or ring any amount of truth. This is what happens. And it's a powerful uh, place to leave Worf, and it's a daring one. It's a, a very, wow, can't believe he did that. And so, it, again, this is kind of one that the audacity of it is like, yeah, all right, you, you get a spot on the list just for that. Number three on the list, and I think a lot of people will number three, agree. And I think number that, uh, in a way, this could be the whole list. Yesterday's Enterprise. Yesterday's Enterprise is our prerequisite time travel episode for the season, and man, is it a good one. The Enterprise C drifts out of a, an engagement with... <laughs> Um, they disappear from time, which creates a hole in the universe. And when they appear, the Enterprise D picks them up, and they're battle-damaged and scarred, and everybody is in a much darker bridge setting, wearing very more militaristic uniforms and carrying sidearms. And we learned that this engagement, basically, um, 20 years earlier, the Enterprise C was lost with all hands when she defended a Klingon ship from being attacked by Romulans. And it was that action that kind of set the groundwork for the lasting truce that we have with the Klingon Empire today. But because she fell into this time rift, that didn't happen. The Klingons were destroyed. They blamed us because we didn't come to their rescue. And uh, we are now at war with the Klingons. And the only person that knows something's not up, not right, is Guinan. Once again, exhibiting her, her very cool, but we're not going to explain it, powers of observation. That Guinan knows that something is wrong. Tasha Yar is alive and well on the Enterprise, D. And so they began to make all these preparations to, you know, hey, we've got a new ship. She can help in the fight. Yay! And Guinan eventually convinces the powers that be that, no, this isn't right. You have to go back. And Tasha, having fallen in love with the dashing first officer, goes with them. 
Because, again, in Guinan's words, she's not supposed to be here. The ship disappears through the time rift, and suddenly things snap back to the way they're supposed to be. Only this, of course, will set up a huge ripple effect later for many, many, many things. Yesterday's Enterprise is an example of how to do a time travel story right. It is um, uh, a little bit uh, parallel universe, a little bit time travel, a little bit what if, a little bit, uh, you know, it's got all of the bases covered. And it does them so well um, that it's just an exceptional watch. Anytime you go back to this one, it's an exceptional watch. Number two on my list. Now, this is where I think a lot of fandom is going to go nuts. I think all of them will agree with me that it's a great episode. I doubt any of them will place it as highly on the list as I do. The most toys. Kibis Fajo is a collector of rare antiquities. He is wonderfully played by Saul Rubinek who is an actor of no small note. If you are a science fiction fan at all, you have seen this man guest star on your show at some point in time or another. And he has decided that, um, well, he's going to collect something very special, something quite unique. And when Lieutenant Commander Data's shuttle is destroyed in an accident... The crew is left bewildered and confused and bereft. But of course, Data didn't die. Kivas arranged it and snatched him. And you will sit in your chair. <laughs> um, the power struggle that is on display here between Data and, and Kivas, and between these two actors, between Brent Spiner and, and Saul Rubinick, is is really kind of the heart of this episode as data exhibits a full range of his logic and how to push things in a a very gandhi like it's it's a very nonviolent protest and how he is goaded and coerced and pushed into things over and over and over by Kibis Fajo as this, as this episode progresses. And it's interesting to see how the androids' resistance cracks and how he continues to try and come up with, with new things. Only for the end to come along. And the end is one of those absolutely fantastic, brilliant endings that has been debated and discussed and argued about since it, since it aired. And that question is, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, so... If you've seen the episode, obviously, you know what I'm talking about. It did did what we were implied to, did what we were led to believe happen actually happen. My personal belief is absolutely yes. Um, but 
it, it's just an all-around fantastic episode uh, and a very, very great one for, for Data's character and a, a brilliant performance by Brent Spiner. And I, Data might be my favorite, so I, I think maybe that's why I tend to, I don't know if you've noticed, I tend to lead a little, seems like a little heavier on some Data episodes with this run. And I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that my number one choice of the season is the best of both worlds, part one. It's the best of anything, ever. It's the best cliffhanger. It's the best season finale. It is the best hour-long segment of television, probably in the history of hour-long segments of television. It's that good. In it, the Borg return. Not because Q is involved, not because we've been blown hundreds of thousands of light years off court. No, it's just they're here. They are invading, and it is up to us to stop them. And we get several very cool, <laughs> several very cool bits, um, not the least of which, uh, of course, is the music. Uh, this is another outstanding score for the series, and one of the first that I purchased on CD um, as far as an episodic television soundtrack goes. I, I, I bought, uh, I owned a Doctor Who one from the Five Doctors. Um, maybe one other Trek one from, you know, the original series. I don't remember if that came after or not. At any rate, the music in this is 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 just off the hook. It's just the only way I can describe it. And so the Borg invade, and we're introduced to Commander Shelby and the idea of Borg tactical. And there's 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 just so much rich awesomeness to this. And we get the Battle of Wolf three five nine completely off screen. But we see the aftermath of it. We get the Borg's attack on the Enterprise. And it's devastating. We get the kidnapping of Picard, which is shocking. We get the assimilation of Picard, which is even more shocking. We get more words of wisdom from Guinan. We get just so much, so much of this episode works. And then we get the, uh, the plan. We're going to punch them. We're going to take them out. We've got this. We're going we're gonna to make this work. And we get the cliffhanger. Mr. Worf, Fire. And the words to be continued came up on the screen. And there was a collective scream from Star Trek fandom at that point. We could not believe that was the end of this episode. And it hit me and my household harder than just about anybody else. We were not fans of Star Trek The Next Generation when it had started. We were very much old school. My mom was an old school Star Trek fan. 
I started my Star Trek journey, as I've said, with the animated series. So then along comes this sleek, shiny, what's with all the windows, meh, just, just not a fan of this thing. But as the third season progressed, that was when we really kind of started watching it with some amount of regularity. And that was where we fell for it. This is where all the good stuff's happening. This is where the good episodes are. This is where the character development's at. And it's like, man, this is, this, is, this is all right. This is pretty... And it very subtly wormed its way into our hearts. Even my mother, by the end of this season, is watching the show with us. So it ends... And she had turned away for just a second. I don't remember why. I think dinner was, was, was being prepped. But she turned away. And she heard me down in the family room. No! She said, what, what, what? I was like, they, they, you know. And of course, this is broadcast. This is not, you know, something that you can very easily digitally back up and show her. We weren't taping them yet. <laughs> so... They, there was a thing, and there was Picard, and he was all borgified, and it was on the, and they were going to shoot it, and then it came up and said to be continued. She was like, "Oh, really? That's where they left it?" I was like, "Yeah." Oh man, I was like, all right, well, let's, let's we got to, got to see what's happening. You got to see what happens next week. And a very strange thing happened. They went to a commercial break. They never go to a commercial break. There's always the next time on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you get the teaser. They went to a commercial. And they came back from commercial, and it was credits. And my scream of, no, was even more louder and intense than it was the first time around, because I suddenly realized this meant it it was a season finale. There was no next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. And we had to wait all summer. It was intolerable. It It was like, who shot J.R.? It was the sci-fi equivalent of Who Shot J.R. It was the wilderness months of Star Trek. Oh, it was agony. And that, my friends, is the sign that you've done something right. When you can hit your audience that hard over the head with an episode and make them burn for three months waiting for your return. That's when, you've, that's when you've got them. And so season three of Next Gen really, really, really is the, the, the quintessential, this is what everybody talks about. So, yeah, no surprise there that that episode is at the top of my list. I have a couple of honorable mentions. Um, Who Watches the Watchers, I think, is a fascinating uh, moral and ethical episode. Uh, the Defector is, is, is a great one. Deja Q where Q loses his powers and is turned human. That one's a lot of fun. Uh, the aforementioned Hollow Pursuits, where we are introduced to Lieutenant Barclay, who is not just obsessed with the holodeck. He, he actually has a compulsion and a complex where he deals better with uh, interacting with holographic characters than he does with real ones, with real people. And what a fascinating idea that is. And what a, uh, what a great great turn of events for Dwight Schultz, who, of course, you know, as, uh, you know, Murdoch from the A-Team. But for him to be able to, uh, you know, suddenly turn this one, one-off, ostensibly guest shot, into a recurring role every year, we would get a Barclay episode. And it was great. I know a lot of people weren't big on Barclay. I loved him. I thought Barclay was a fantastic character. And you want to talk about an arc. Oh, my goodness, the arc that he goes on. 
and then Menage a Trois, or Menage a Troy, uh, in which the Ferengi kidnap Loxana, and we get another delightful performance from Major Barrett Roddenberry, and another one that I didn't appreciate when I first saw it. It's, it's grown on me, and her portrayal of Loxana has, has certainly grown on me over the years. And again, that just scratches the surface. There's so much good in season three. But I think that'll wrap it up. This one's actually going to run a little bit shorter, which I'm kind of surprised with, but I didn't have to give you as much backstory on it, so that's good. As always, I invite you to check us out over on Traveling the Vortex for all the Doctor Who news that's uh, fit to print. And you can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com and on Patreon, and we appreciate all of your uh, hard-earned dollars that go into this uh, hard-worked podcast. And we strive to be worthy of your investment. Um, I hope again that you're all uh, taking shelter during uh, this, well, as I record this, uh, during this pandemic. Hopefully at the time that you're listening to this, I wish that uh, all is well and that uh, the all clear has been sounded. And until next short trip for the Trek universe, I leave you as they left us with a cliffhanger. Mr. Worf, fire.